Trades Work, the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Dave DeVia. Welcome back to Trades Work. I'm your host, Dave DeVia, and I'm pleased to welcome Scott LeBan, president of Colorado Succeeds. Welcome to our show, Scott. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. Of course, we're honored to have you. You've been a good partner over the years, and we've worked together on uh, some pretty large policy discussions. And you know, helped us get our college uh, um, framework approved at the state. And so I appreciate that and the work that you do. And I have a lot of respect for you and your organization. Well, likewise, the feeling's absolutely mutual. Scott, our listeners probably don't know much about Colorado Succeeds. Um, I'll just share with you that, or share with them, that it's a nonpartisan business advocacy group working on education and workforce development. So my first question to you is two-part. How does that mission inform the work you do? And two, who are your members? Give us a snapshot. Yeah, you bet, Dave. As a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization of employers, we have a mission that's really twofold. First, help all Coloradans be educated to their greatest potential, and second, to help all companies find the local homegrown talent that they need to continue to grow and thrive. And so another way to think about this is we're trying to make Colorado the best place to raise a child and grow a business. When we think about, you know, who we want to partner with on that, um, the business community is really our constituency. We work with companies of all different sizes, sectors, ranging from all different geographies across the state. And what unites all of us is this fundamental belief that business has a, a vested interest in the, in the future success of our workforce development system and can bring some relevant expertise and some credibility and some support to making that the best education workforce development system in the country. So talk to us a little bit about your membership. Who is Colorado Succeeds? What kind of employers would we find in that group? So what unites all of us sort of at the broadest level is you know, a belief in nonpartisanship and coming together to, to get things done that, you know, the radical middle is where we find success. It's not on either uh, ends of the political spectrum or at the fringe. We are people who really work to outlive and outlast election cycles. And so we take the long view because we're inherently investors in the future of our community. And so that means when we think about workforce development issues, it's all about how do we build out the system that works for the long haul? And so an example of some of those members would be, you know, in healthcare, we work with various hospitals, uh, with various insurance uh, providers. In uh, skilled trades, we work with several different uh, general contracting firms. Uh, we work with real estate developers, with banks and um, uh, other professional services firms. We'll work with hard goods manufacturers and advanced manufacturing sector as well with uh with Ball and Aerospace and, you know, Lockheed Martin. There's a broad range of organizations that are involved in the work um, because they all believe that when we come together as one business constituency, we're stronger for it. Great. Thank you. So I know you joined the organization in 2010. What projects would you count as successes during your tenure as uh, CEO or the president of um, Succeeds? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, you think back over, you know, 13, almost 14 years of work, sometimes you lose sight of the specific projects and, and kind of look more at the longer term impact. From, from that point, my first thought goes to just the fact that we've created the central entry point for any company who wants to elevate their voice 
in the education uh, system in Colorado, whether that be through public policy or whether that be through the implementation of policy, Succeeds can be your entry point uh, to make those things happen. But more specifically, I'm really proud of the way that the business community has become a united voice for change and for transformation in our state. And that call to succeeds is a key catalyst for that. And then also, you know, if I'm thinking of some specific examples, a few that I would point to would be sort of one that we call the Career Development Incentive Program. This was a piece of policy passed in 2016, and it provides a financial incentive to school districts when they help their high school learners receive an industry credential in a top job. And importantly, that looks at you know, employers coming together every year, identifying what are the fastest growing jobs in our state, the ones that pay a living wage, and then backwards planning from that, what are the certificates, credentialing programs, or credits that young people can take to be relevant for those entry-level positions. And now, when high school students earn that, the, the school system is rewarded. And so we really like the linkage and the connection directly to business, the fact that it's also an outcomes-based funding model where the state is really paying for success. And I could share that since 2016, there's been over 45,000 young people who've earned an industry certification or credential in one of those programs. That's a great, uh, certainly a great accomplishment because I, I, you know, my view of the world is you know, kind of workforce uh, is not holistic and it's very segmented and, and to bring a program like that to fruition and have that kind of success early on is, uh, is pretty outstanding. Thanks. That's a, that's a big part of what we try to do is, you know, break down the silos that exist between industry and the education workforce development systems, find ways for them to actually connect, work more closely together. Another project we did related to that, that we're excited about is called the homegrown talent initiative and, we uh, started off that work in eight rural communities across our state, you know, bringing together uh, people from industry, the school district, the municipal government, and building out new pathways for learners that were aligned to the top jobs in that specific region, and helping them take advantage of new exciting uh, experiences that were, you know, career connected and were aligned to what they wanted to do in the future, and importantly, aligned to what the, the skills and talent needs were for those communities. And we've just seen that program scale from eight rural school districts to now over 60. So there's a lot of appetite for this kind of work. That's another great statistic. Talk to us a little bit about the current state of education in Colorado. And, or where would you like to see it go? In the big picture, we're, we're seeing an education system that is still addressing and reeling from the impacts of COVID and all of the disruptions that occurred for learners during that time. You know, learners lost a lot of ground there's still major, major gaps when it comes to academic proficiency. And so um, a lot of the work is just making sure that people have good information and awareness about what are the programs and interventions that have been demonstrated to work to bring young people back up to uh, proficiency and how can they be deployed as efficiently and quickly as possible. There's a lot of federal money that's in the, in the education system right now and has to be spent by next year. And so a lot of those educators, I think, are looking at, you know, 12 months out and seeing a pretty big fiscal cliff in terms of a lot of this federal money going away and trying to figure out how are they going to sustain some of these interventions that they've been working on and, and trying to build. Um, I think, you know, you're starting to see a lot of adult issues, I would call them, you know, polarizing issues show up at school board meetings and, uh, and, and in many ways distract from the learner and what is what should be the focus of, of their work. 
you still have a lot of mental health issues that are facing young people today, you know, that, that continue to linger from COVID. So all that to say, there's a lot of challenges. On the positive side, I would say, I don't think I've ever seen so much enthusiasm and eagerness than I have now to partner with the business community. And that's one of the things that I'm just really excited about is you have superintendents and high school principals and high school counselors reaching out to the business community and eager to work with them in a way that would, you know, bring new experiences to their young people, help them build new skills and competencies and um, create a lot of many more points of relevance. At the end of the day, COVID was a time of deep disengagement. And what we hope is that through career connected learning, we can create many more specific areas of, of relevant engagement because we know that's what the business community has in space. I hadn't really thought about, you know, kind of COVID and impacts on the education sector. Thinking back to my kid going to school, I mean, you know, having to switch from a traditional classroom to all online and then back to hybrid and then back to online uh, as the waves of COVID uh, and, you know, the impacts there must have had a pretty big, big impact on the teachers and the teaching network. Do you think some of those are long-term uh, impacts? Um, and what do you think, if anything, the, you know, kind of rising inflation and costs and command uh, on salaries is going to do uh, in education? Yeah, it's a great question. Absolutely. It's a, it's a major issue. The, the state is working really hard on trying to find new pathways into the profession, trying to make sure that we're uh, recruiting and, and also retaining excellent educators. There, there has been a lot of attrition that has occurred. And so the, the state is, is definitely facing a, uh, a talent gap when it comes to the number of teachers that are needed. I think there's a lot of different innovative ways to look at that. You know, everything from how we compensate educators should be considered and, you know, what is the, the benefit structure that they receive to, you know, looking at uh, a co-teaching model where you find opportunities to bring employers into the classroom who may not have a traditional educating educator license, but can bring a lot of valuable insight and information into the profession to uh, an apprenticeship model that was just passed in state law last year that we helped support that would, you know, allow for uh, paraprofessionals to go through a work-based learning program while, while they are, you know, working and learning at the same time so that they can translate their paraprofessional role into a full-time teaching role and do it in a pretty efficient way. So uh, it's a big need. It's a big focus area for a lot of our partners as well as for us and, and something that, um, I think if we don't figure it out as a state, there's going to continue to be really significant impact. Well, if we can be of help on that, we'd love to dig in with you on that. As we look on Succeeds' website, you know, you've got a Vision 2030 framework. Talk to us a little bit about what that is and how it will shape education policy moving forward. Um, and I should also just uh, caveat that to say that the Vision 2030 framework is, is evolving and continuing to be a moving target. And so it's our current thinking, but it's definitely not um, a static viewpoint and something that we want to continue to build and, and evolve over time. But really the big shift that we're talking about here is moving the focus and the, the central nature of education and workforce development away from the institution or away from the system and towards the learner. The idea really being how do you put the learner at the center and ensure that the system is responsive to the unique needs of the learner and responsive to the dynamic pace of change of industry. And so those are two 
you know, difficult forces to have to try and think about and mitigate. Certainly learners are showing up with more diverse needs and interests than they ever have before. And at the same time, the pace of change is faster than it feels like it's ever been before. With, you know, the, uh, the proliferation of AI and machine learning, how are we taking those insights and bringing them into a system such that it allows us to support the learner as best as we can and respond as best as we can? And, and what I mean by that really is we're going to have to change mindset. This is the biggest barrier right now is to try and move, you know, people towards this idea of away from school buildings and, you know, four walls to the community as, as the source of learning and as employers and businesses as a part of that learning and not just consumers of talent, but co-producers of talent. It's about helping people understand that education is a lifelong learning adventure and not just something you do, um, you know, for the 18 or 20 years uh, at the initial part of your life and then work for the rest of your life. It's going to be a pathway that you continue to get on and get off of. And it requires us to think about moving from being standardized to being personalized, from thinking about how we progress through the system based on time to based on competency. And so there's a lot of change management involved. And ultimately, it's needed because we know in our state, you know, over 70% of the jobs require some kind of post-secondary credential. That's something beyond, beyond high school. And yet we're very far from achieving that right now when it comes to uh, the homegrown talent in our state. So we've got to invest and we've got to try something different. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I don't disagree. I think you and I have talked about this before, but, you know, selfishly in the construction space, you know, we're often not part of the conversation. We're kind of an afterthought and, you know, promoting a job in the skilled trades is really important to us because our pipeline for talent depends upon that. And we have not taken as active of a role as we should have in that conversation. And we are getting a lot more active and with your help, um, really kind of changing the paradigm for which we're seeing. Uh, so thank you for that. No, and thank you. I mean, this the, the bigger picture here is how do we move to career connected learning? And there's a whole continuum for what that can look like starting in elementary, going through middle school, into high school, and into several different ways to engage with learners throughout that continuum. And we definitely need the construction sector stepping up and joining us to provide those kinds of engagement. And in fact, many of you already are. I'm in high school, that's going really well. You've got programs like geometry and construction. Um, yeah. and, and so there's just several like, high quality ways that we're trying to do this, but we need more. And like you said, exposure is a big part of it because we really believe you can't be what you can't see. And so there's a there's a huge opportunity to try and generate greater exposure for more people. Well, we definitely have a deficit, 50,000 uh, workers needed by the year 2030, 50,000 more workers needed by the year 2030. You know, from your perspective, how does Succeeds either work directly or indirectly with us as a sector? And what should we be doing? What more should we be doing uh, to connect with organizations like yours? Well, first off, I just want to say uh, kudos to the work you're doing with the Western States College of Construction. I mean, it's it's a huge advancement in the space. And I think it's, it's taking a, a tackling a problem uh, directly and, and finding a, a really innovative way to address that. And, and I think one of the first things I would say is we absolutely share your sentiments around the need to build a reliable and a predictable career pathway for the sector. There are many ways to do that. In addition to some of the work that you guys are doing with Western States, 
we're trying to help build a, a pathway program that would you know, take students right from high school into on-the-job learning and apprenticeships in industry and then take those apprenticeships and have them translate directly into an associate's degree through the, the state community college system. And that, you know, the state community college system has 13 different institutions around Colorado. And if we work with the system as a whole, our hope is that it will create a predictable and repeatable way to say, if you've been a journeyman in XYZ discipline, you now have received 45 credits at the local community college, and you're mm -hmm. only 15 credits away from getting your associates in construction management. And then working with employers to really customize those final, what would that be, five classes, so that mm -hmm. it's not just, you know, general ed, but it's, you know, estimating and project management and communicating all tied and, and, and connected to the needs of industry. And then having that you know, continue to stack or to transfer into a bachelor's degree. And, you know, we're working with groups like Metro State who are saying that they would love to stack that associate's degree into a bachelor's degree. And, and we know that employers want to invest in their people and already are. And we are just seeing that when they're doing these, these great opportunities that provide these kinds of credentials and degrees, they offer a lot of currency and a lot of value directly to the learner so that if there ever is a, you know, a recession and things start to retract a little bit, they'll still have those um, degrees to stand on and potentially, you know, translate that into a different line of work. So th those are some of the things we're doing. And um, I would also say we continue to advocate at the Capitol for greater exposure and, and greater opportunities for businesses to engage in this work and would love to continue to talk to you about what that might look like. Yeah, well, count us in, because we definitely want to be part uh, of your efforts, and, and you guys have really amplified needs and really kind of led the charge on how you think about educating students. I love your quote, career connective learning. Um, I think that's uh, a, a new way of thinking about this and certainly need it. So let's talk about, you know, uh, in your estimation, with another legislative session coming upon us, what are the things Colorado should, Coloradans should keep their eye on as we move forward here? Yeah, you bet. So, so first and foremost, we, um, we just came out with this uh, report not too long ago from what we call the Education to Employment Alliance. And what that does is try and identify the needs of business and some recommendations for how to address those needs. And uh, it, it does include several policy recommendations, and we've shared that list now with the uh, uh, the governor's office and several legislators, and we're starting to see a lot of interest in several of those uh, those goals. A couple of them that I'd share with you and your your listeners are that you know one is to create more financial incentives for employers to be uh, engaged in career connected learning. So that might look like tax credits. It could look like a, a state grant program, but something to help them you know, address some of those initial startup costs that can be expensive when a company is trying to build an apprenticeship from scratch and also build some capacity in places like trade associations that can support companies so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel or start from scratch, but they can, they can build upon the best practices and the learnings from other places. So that'd be one. Um, another would be really trying to think about what would it look like if our 14 economic development regions all had a regional talent development plan. And so you actually had a, a planning series of meetings where employers and learning providers would come together, identify the specific skills and competencies that 
uh, people are needed need in order to be successful in that region. And then backwards plan again, what do the specific programs and academic learning opportunities need to look like? So that the most important thing there is it would really it would be about action and measurable goals that we could go back and say, you know, show me how this is different tomorrow than it was yesterday. So that's a component of it. And then the last is, you know, we work a lot on trying to increase access for young people to take advantage of pathways programs while they're in high school. It helps defer the cost of post-secondary and it helps give them an idea of what they enjoy, what they like, and importantly also what they don't like. And so a lot of it might be, uh, you know, reducing burdens, getting some of the, the, the bureaucratic uh, barriers out of the way and, and trying to do more to, to get innovative programs into the hands of more young people. And so that'll be the third key component of what we're trying to get done this year. Well, we look forward to seeing those potential pieces of legislation and seeing how we can help. Absolutely. I'll be sure to share them with them as soon as I have drafts. So now the tough question. When you were a kid, Scott LeBan probably didn't dream of being the president at Colorado Succeeds. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> so um, my dad was a... Uh, a manager of a, of a construction company when I was growing up, actually. And so I spent a lot of time on the job site with him. And I remember being absolutely mesmerized by everybody working in masonry. And um, my initial first thought for my life was that I wanted to, to, to work in masonry and be a mason and, and spend my time working with concrete and bricks. That was something that kind of uh, jumped off the page for me right at the beginning. I think over time that morphed into desire to get into architecture, actually, and, and really enjoyed you know, drawing floor plans and, and things like that in my spare time. Um, and then I was a, as a kid, and so I started to want to be a golf course architect. And, uh, and so those are the three things I wanted to do. Obviously, uh, very different than what I'm doing today. Although when I first graduated from college, I, I did appraise golf courses for a short period of time, which gave me the opportunity to spend a lot of time with land developers and, you know, think about the uh, – the big vision that they had and, and, and how it might come to fruition and while well, I was doing some of those feasibility studies. So it was interesting. It scratched the itch a little bit, but uh, not, not fully realized those, those initial dreams, I guess you could say. Well, I dream of being a really good golfer, but I don't have enough time to perfect that craft. So I'm a <laughs> terrible golfer, but still love it nonetheless. <laughs> Same with me. I, am, uh, I love the game because it, it humbles me and that is always going to be true. Yep. Well, that concludes our show, Scott. Thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, and again, thanks for your partnership. It's always good to work with you. Yeah, thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Please stay tuned for more industry insights, news, and information about the women and men building our communities, building our skylines, building our future. Tradeswork is a production of the Rocky Mountain Mechanical Contractors Association. For more information about our organization, please visit rmmca.org.